This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. Today we are joined by Altez Villani from Security Compass and Nikhil Kumar, President and Founder of APTSI, to discuss the feasibility of Zero Trust. In this podcast, we will talk about the value of Zero Trust from a business enablement perspective. We will also dive into the feasibility of Zero Trust for technical leaders. While Zero Trust is not a silver bullet for today's rapidly evolving business and security scenarios, it offers a compelling evolution away from our network-centric approach towards a focus on the data. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast today, uh, where we'll be talking about Zero Trust. Our guest today is Nikhil Kumar. Uh, Nikhil, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you, Althas, for having me. So my background is... I'm a biologist, a computer scientist, and an engineer. And I've worked in all sorts of different roles in a C-level role for the, or a leadership role for the last multiple years. I run my own company, Applied Technology Solutions, or APTSI. And we do a combination of basically architecture, enterprise, and otherwise, and integration. InfoSec, we have a products group where we're building a precision medicine platform, which involves a lot of security. And we have, uh, a pharma and life sciences practice. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. And then I've been involved with the open group for multiple years, as well as other standards bodies and in both the information security and the service oriented architecture and cloud and enterprise architecture spaces, involved in writing two or three major standards, involved in setting up governance for Fortune 50 and Fortune 5 companies. And prior to that, I've worked at Pricewaterhouse and other places. Wonderful. That's great. It's good to have you here. Let's just dive right into zero trust then. So Nikhil, how important is zero trust? Zero trust is critical for the modern enterprise because modern enterprises are dealing with digital transformation. This has been happening for the past few years. It's not new. It's just become faster and faster with these disruptive events like the 2008 crisis, like uh, COVID. And what Zero Trust does is it provides the ability for organizations to be able to both grow and operate. Changes that are occurring in this digital era are really fundamental. For example, in the insurance industry with the ACA, which happened a few years ago, there was a fundamental change. All the blues no longer were the provider of last resort. And along with that, they had to sell to the individual, not to the organization but all their systems really didn't think about an individual. So now you had to look and interact with the individual in many different forms and you were disrupting the business model. In the case of e-tailing, for example, you're suddenly switching from a bricks and mortars company and switching to an online presence. You have to deal with a variety of different stakeholders. You have to depend on influencers. You have to depend on the ability to sell to different markets. All these things change the way organizations are structured and they change the markets they play in, who their clients are, who their different stakeholders are, who, where the supply chain exists. Another thing that has been rapidly increasing in speed is the shift from globalization to almost balkanization. And that's driven by two things. One is geopolitical in nature. The other is frankly, the maturation of the internet. Jurisprudence is coming together, laws are coming out. And these laws tend to reflect local 
jurisdictions and local cultures. So for example, in if you were to deal with the EU, GDPR is out there for, where we talk a lot about individual rights. And if you talk about other places, there are other laws like CCPA in the United States. And then you have a variation across the board. Like in Singapore, for example, there's a lot more of government access into personal data versus while in China, there is freedom of access for the government to get at any of your data. So what happens to a company that sells in these two different areas? Or what happens to a company which operates in multiple areas like a traditional multinational? In these scenarios, traditional models just don't work. Traditional models of network-based security, of being able to deal with encryption as the only mechanism. But the vast majority of IT and technology folks have been taught that as well as business would go and say, oh yeah, let's just encrypt everything. But when they start doing that and then think about Snowden, for example, oh my God, we lost all our data, they get worried. Many hospitals have been forced into bankruptcy because of ransomware. So the reality of what is happening is there's a need for a new paradigm and that paradigm shift is zero trust. The ability to operate in an environment uh, where you don't trust your network, you don't trust your, your clients and you have to be able to deal with new clients to your producers at any time. And mm -hmm. these clients could be omni-channel, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And businesses need that capability, otherwise how do they operate? And they can't wait for those governance rules to change, to catch up. That would be years out, by which time they've already done three cycles of change. So those are the things which are requiring businesses to think differently. Mm -hmm. And that's what drives zero trust. That's interesting. So you've spoken about the, the business side of it. So it's important to business leaders and you've uh, articulated several use cases in here. Let's look at this from an execution standpoint then, Nikhil. How feasible is zero trust for technology leaders then? So put yourself in the shoes of a technology leader. What you've been taught is we're going to have the network and we're going to encrypt the network for data and flight. We do TLS 1.3 and then you find my legacy applications don't support TLS 1.3. And then you start thinking about, I have to add this new provider and this new supply chain uh, vendor. Or I, did a, I added a new player into our business ecosystem and I need to be able to share data with them and they're sending it by a flat file. What do I encrypt in flight there? What does TLS buy me? So at that point, you're now thinking about how do I secure the endpoint, how do I secure the data that's in flight, so on and so forth, or I encrypt that data. Does that really work? How easy is that? So what's happening is that a lot of the traditional approaches end up creating friction for the business to be able to execute. And you, as, a, as an IT stakeholder, as a C-level executive, even as a chief security architect or a senior security architect, you can butt against the business saying, you're stopping us from being able to do business. And now in your my risk assessment, you start wondering, what's the value of doing this? Is it worth it or do I just accept the risk and move on? And so those are key things. And then the other thing is the cloud, IoT and AI are adding new factors into this conversation, factors that didn't exist before. Uh, I remember in 2008, everybody telling me, oh, SOA is going nowhere. I think there was a famous thing, SOA is dead. I think Ann Thomas Manis or Manis put mm -hmm. it. The reality is with the cloud, everything's an API or a stream. So now you're at a point where you're decomposing your applications or exposing them through APIs or microservices. All these things are making it mandatory to support this. Now, none of this is new. 
we have had approaches to solve for this and we've been putting these approaches together over the last two decades or so. The Jericho Forum brought some of this out, but the reality is this has been implemented in many cases. And so what we do is we use a rubric. That's what I've used in the past. Take out what you can, get rid of social security numbers, for example. Eliminate what you can't, try to obfuscate it using format preserving encryption and things like that, which don't create friction for your business processes, which don't have you go and update 50 different applications. You only update four. Now that allows you to focus on things and move at a particular speed. The third yeah. thing I, I normally tell folks that I work with is, all right, you can't do one and two for some reason. You then encrypt that information and typically at a field level. Those are well-known technologies, by the way. The third point, you go ahead and you can't get rid of all these three and you just need it. You're doing fraud, you're doing patient data in, in a hospital. Then you start exposing it through uh, mechanisms such as secure trusted zones. That's when the network comes and you use an SDN, so on and so forth. Why am I saying this? Feasibility exists already. There are certain new things. Adaptive identity is an evolving concept. The ability to create nearly zero, uh, a zero response time threat management and different ways of doing that, proactively managing that, that's a new concept. But feasibility is not an issue. And remember, because this is a paradigm shift, bigger issues typically people in process, risk, audit, and infosec, and to a large extent, IT also needs to shift from, I'm gonna secure the network, now I'm gonna build a castle, to saying, how do I deal with this? Today's threats through phishing, for example, are insider in nature. They're not through some external source. So managing for this is, a, is more of a cultural shift. And what that boils down to is that the zero trust paradigm is not just the building out of the architecture, which should be data-centric, not network-centric, but it's also building out that knowledge base in the company and handling the culture change both at the business leader and the executive level. How do you think about risk? You think about it as avoidance, not mitigation. And you also think about it from a technology and an implementation perspective. And when I'm trying to solve a problem, can I follow this kind of a playbook and get rid of my stuff and then address other things? Mm -hmm. I know that gives you perspective about that, but that's a, a lot about why it's feasible today. And I believe that companies that are quick and able to adapt, adapt it, are going to be able to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Certainly in the work that I do, I see a lot of conversations now centered around how do you both enable the business and at the same time proactively manage the risk from a security standpoint. And I think this is something as we start to consider some of the newer use cases that are coming out. It's not that the feasibility, as you'd mentioned, is going to upend the knowledge that we've got or the ways that we've been doing things. It's just we've got to reframe this and culturally start to consider if we start to push away from the network and start to get to the data itself, what that means now to help us enable the enterprise. Nikhil, I just wanted to thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thanks. Can't get enough of the Balancing Act? Make sure to check out our website at www.securitycompass.com and be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes. Thank you.